Welcome to Talking Ink. I'd say probably as soon as you notice them, I guess they're not they're not a stranger anymore. A podcast for stories, poems and ways of thinking. When you see more dimensions of somebody, that also sometimes makes it feel as if they're further away from you. This episode is called Strangers. I'm Lucy Smith, and if you don't know me, you can picture me blowing ink around a page with a hollowed-out biro, like a child, to make the Talking Ink logo, and maybe I'll feel like less of a stranger to you now. When do you stop being a stranger to someone? Is it when you know their name, where they grew up, their dog's name? Or is it maybe when you feel like you've given them something important, something you can't take back, and they've equally revealed something about themselves to you? What if you're still strangers, even then? Or what if you never were, and no one is a stranger to each other? You're about to hear four writers read their work and give their take on the theme. It was an odd process for me this episode, because by some twist of fate, in an episode called Strangers, it turned out I'd already met each writer selected to read their work. I'd met two in passing, knew one through a mutual friend and was already good friends with another. But their writing revealed a side to them that I wouldn't have otherwise known. And I think I might have come to the conclusion that there will inevitably be stranger sides to the people we know and always some distance separating us. But rather than this being a bad thing, it means there are endless opportunities for getting to know people afresh. Our first poem is written by Julie Primon, who looks at the idea of, at times, finding a stranger in the person you're supposed to know better than anyone. Married The man sleeping beside me in the bed we chose together in Ikea three years ago is my husband. It has been months and I still look at the background photo on the desktop and think, oh, as though the man and woman walking out of City Hall are strangers or mere acquaintances, I study the day's faces with curiosity, tenderness. They seem stunned by their achievement and I don't blame them after the maddening month spent trying to hold it all together, choosing flowers and macaron flavours, thinking for too long about table plans and whether to have favours. For them, this moment is an ending, a gilded passageway into another life, where they'll describe each other as those foreign concepts, a wife, a husband. I won't tell them that despite the rings and signatures on official papers, there will still be times, a heated exchange, words sharper than thoughts, snapping in the late evening air, when they look at each other and see only a stranger. I don't know, maybe because our society makes quite a, quite a big deal of, you know, romantic love and marriage, and often it's portrayed in these films and books and TV shows as like this ultimate goal. It's like a game, right? You get there and it's, this is like the last level. You've completed the game and then what happens afterwards? It's not, you know, it's not magically perfect. You still have things to learn about each other and you still have fights and you still sometimes feel that there's a, you know, a glass screen dropping in between the two of you and there's nothing you can do to reach through there. 
I think when you see more dimensions of somebody and they get more and more complex, maybe that also sometimes makes it feel as if they're further away from you. And it's funny because um, when we started dating, my husband had really short hair. Um, and nowadays he likes to like grow quite a lot, but sometimes he will ask me to cut it. And when I cut it, um, it feels like I'm looking at the guy he was when we started dating, which is quite a strange sensation. And of course he's not, you know, he's grown quite a lot. We've both grown quite a lot since we first started dating. But it's weird. It's like getting this little glimpse into the past just from something physical like a haircut. Sometimes there are surprising ways also in which we can sort of reach out and touch our past selves. What do you think makes a stranger? Yes, it's quite interesting, especially because you have the idea of strange, right? I think strange being unfamiliar. So for me, I think I would say, yes, stranger is a person or a thing that you don't that you don't know. And so perhaps there's an element of fear tied into that. I also think it's a word that's full of possibilities because if somebody's a stranger, then all that can happen is that you learn about them, that you get to know them. And I think that's one of the best things in the world. They could be so many things, and maybe they won't be anything. Maybe they'll just walk past you and nothing will ever happen, but who knows? Rosie Brown reads next and looks at the nature of the stranger through social media and how the imagination plays a part when you're getting to know someone through their online profile. Strangers. When we are introduced, we pretend not to know each other, but you must have seen me on Facebook. We have 38 mutual friends, so you often show up on the roster of suggested faces. I must appear to you, too, like a sleepwalker. In your profile picture, you are wearing a red cowboy hat and laughing, and I can tell you are trying to be fun. In my profile picture, I am surrounded by apple blossom, looking at something off camera. When you saw me like that, did you think... Now this girl seems creative and has at least one friend with a decent camera. I hope so. We shake hands and your palm is very soft. I'm surprised because I know you're a sculptor. I know a lot about you. Your old flatmate and I go for coffee sometimes. She mentioned the nervous breakdown you had a couple of years ago, the one that had you pulled over on the hard shoulder of the motorway, crying to Yola Tango. She never said your name, of course, only alluded to you, but I worked it out from her photos. I remembered seeing you once before at an exhibition opening. You were carrying your coat around the gallery. I liked your twitchiness, your bad posture. These days I find I can only trust men who seem nervous. I would love to reach through this pretense and talk to you about being ill. You trudge through thick fog for months, years even, and when it clears you look back and realise you have trampled over several people's ornamental rose gardens. How do you make amends? Of course, I don't say any of this. Instead, we make very small talk, so small it hurts. When I get home, I will look at your profile again, and then I will look at mine. Imagine you looking at it. So my idea in the piece is that the protagonist is, you know, deeply unwell or has been, and hears about this other person, hears that they've been unwell, and then the rest of it is just pretty much projection, and they're sort of maybe semi-aware that that's what they're doing. They're projecting this idea of a nervous, vulnerable character who they want to be friends with. 
is almost safer for them to continue this online distant relationship than to actually get to know this person and make take a risk and say something. People used to do it with celebrity, but now it's possible to do it with anyone. There seem to be fewer and fewer strangers by the day. You have the phenomenon of, of Facebook and the internet in general. I feel like, you know, I could meet anyone that's roughly my age in Cardiff and look them up and expect to have at least one mutual friend. And I think that's a very strange thing, and I don't know if that's really always that natural or it has an uncanny element to it. Talking to friends of mine about the phenomenon of you find yourself stalking someone that you've never met just by chance, like looking at their Facebook profile. And then weeks, months, years later, you meet them and you have this strange, uncanny moment of feeling that you know more about them than you maybe should. And it feels a little bit almost dirty or shameful in some way. If somehow social media changes and we're broadcasting more and more information about ourselves... You know, like the idea of Google glasses and in films when people have a piece in their eye that means that whoever they look at, their name immediately pops up. It doesn't seem so far removed that eventually we could be at a stage where you look at someone and you know their name immediately and all about them. Yeah, I guess my initial reaction to that is you don't know all about them. You know the stuff that's been said about them and the things they want to show the world. Mm. But you, you don't know them. Yeah, it's true. Does someone's name and favourite sport, is that really them? But then comes back to, like, the projected identity of this person versus, I suppose, attributes like their flaws. Does it come down to knowing someone's flaws? Is that not being strangers with someone? I like looking at planes in the sky and imagining the people inside. Imagining what they're doing at that exact same time I'm here, walking down my street. The flying people are less like strangers to me than the people passing me on the pavement a lot of the time. I think imagination has a lot to do with how much someone feels like a stranger to us. Sometimes our idea of what someone is like can make the thought of getting to know them almost addictive. Samuel Sargent is up next, reading his flash fiction, exploring the parts of our minds which may seem strange to ourselves and the unwelcome visitors that, for some, such as those who experience visions, can be a part of everyday life. The visitor. The woman stood silently to his right. Her face, with its sunken black eyes and pale bloated skin, seemed calm as she surveyed the room. This was the third night she had come this month. As he lay studying the mould growing on his ceiling, he wondered whether this would be the night he finally gave in. The bedsheet, damp and cold with sweat, clung to his skin as he rolled over to watch her progress. She stopped by his desk, piled high with texts he would never return, and ran a thin hand over their yellowed pages. He never knew what she found so fascinating. Perhaps it was the pile of laundry that had been left so long it had calcified, or the rats that gnawed and clawed their way through the cavities in his walls. He supposed it did not matter. She was just another in a long line of uninvited guests, their faces a series of falsehoods that demanded his attention and validation. He scrunched his eyes against the interloper, pressing them tight enough to hurt. Slowly, eventually, 
the first rays of the morning sun pierced through his lids. He opened his eyes and let out a long, slow breath. He had not accepted her reality. She was gone. This is inspired by... Uh... You know, it's not quite real life, but it's an amalgam of, of various experiences I had in my mid-twenties. I am someone who suffers from visual psychoses, which basically means I see things that aren't there with alarming regularity. It took many years of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and some very interesting therapists to get me into the position where I could function and understand the nature of those visions. But at first, this short piece very much captures what it was like. You're lying in the dark, surrounded by things you know not to be true, and trying to convince yourself they aren't real. And even though you know they can't be real, you question your own sanity, which causes a great deal of anxiety. Think of it like having a dream. The various experiences that I've had have been combined in my subconscious to create a creature, a person that exhibits menace and is potentially a combination of various facets and people that I've encountered in my waking life. So maybe not quite a stranger? Well, yeah, not quite a stranger. Or taking what is known and making it strange. What makes someone a stranger? Newness and time, I think. A new person is by their very nature strange, but an old acquaintance, friend, family member that you haven't seen in some time could also have changed significantly since you last saw them. And that is a jarring experience because you know the old them but what is in front of you is not the person you recognize and they are then strange once again strangeness and new by their very definition makes them an unknown quantity and if they are unknown you cannot predict how they are going to behave you don't know what they want what they're going to do what they need from you until you have met a stranger and gotten to know them and made them a friend or an ally or an enemy, you cannot predict their behaviours. To me, that is deeply unsettling. Anyone else who may be suffering from audio or visual psychosis or mental health issues of any kind, they can seem strange and by their very nature, they are isolating experiences. Because no matter how many other people are going through what you're going through, only you see what you see or hear what you hear. But you are not alone. There are people out there who can help, who want to listen and can help you understand this strange thing that you are experiencing and hopefully make it manageable. Taylor Edmonds reads next, with her poem about observing strangers and the impressions they leave on our own lives. Moonflower 
I can see them through the kitchen window. Silhouettes of bodies pressed together against the kitchen counter, with arms around neck, arch of back, and I should look away. I leave him in bed for a closer look, my nose against cold glass. I can't tell if there is man or if there is woman in their candlelight, but they are beautiful, these shadows with their skins like vines weaving into one another. I climb back to sleep and wonder what makes me any different from the man that lies with his cheek against my breast. So the poem was both about strangers and about gender, largely, I think. And it's this narrator sort of looking in on this really intimate, private moment that she probably shouldn't be, but she can't look away. Um, and yeah, I guess I was kind of thinking about the parts of strangers' lives that you might come across by accident and the impression that they leave on you or the impression that you might leave on them. In the poem, I... The narrator, she kind of watches these people and she can't tell their gender. And then she takes that away and kind of thinks about that in her own terms. Like, if these two people that she's just seen can just be genderless, then it's kind of the same when you're in a relationship. And I definitely think that when you're intimate with someone, you transcend gender and it's not even... It's not a thing anymore. What makes someone a stranger? Like, what would you say the definition of a stranger is? Oh, that's hard. Someone that is alien to you, I guess, um, by never never knowingly meeting them before or they look unfamiliar, um, you've never spoken to them. And when do they stop being a stranger? <laughs> I'd say probably as soon as you notice them, I guess. They're not, they're not a stranger anymore. Like, I've been thinking in my other writing lately about when you have you meet people just purely by chance and if you think about how many people you are in the same point with at the same time and you never even really think anything about that but it's kind of interesting i watched this um bit like video that came up on social media and it was about two people who met um, purely by chance in London and they went on to be like lifelong friends and um, the guy in the video said that it, to talk to a stranger is like an act of rebellion uh, against like how society tells us to be with people that we don't know um, and yeah I think that's really true. Before she submitted to the podcast I'd met Taylor once in passing at an open mic it just turned out that by the time we were recording, we'd begun working on an audiobook project together. And we chatted a little bit about getting to know people through their writing first, which is in many ways what we've done. I was thinking about the different kinds of ways you can get to know people. So when I like do the podcast and I read people's work before I meet them, and sort of like the idea of getting to know them that way, mm. and I know we've read each other's work, and I don't know if you have any ideas on like... All the different ways you can get to know people without literally standing in front of them mm. and talking to them. Yeah, and definitely through reading someone's work or, like, if they're an artist, seeing their art or something like that, I think that says a lot about a person that they probably won't offer to you in a general social situation. I think we have all these weird social sort of anxieties and you have to be a certain way when you're in a social situation. It's kind of, it's kind of makes it kind of difficult sometimes to get underneath the surface with someone. 
it's almost kind of refreshing when someone's read your stuff and it's like accepted and it's like cool. Yeah, yeah. Although it's like I'm- a weird kind of intimacy. Sit in a room long enough with a group of people. Are they strangers anymore? I started a dance class earlier this year. I didn't know anyone there, but by the end of our first session where we danced together, at one point accidentally dancing in sync, all rising an arm on the same beat, made me feel like a bird in a flock. By the end of this first session, and we were all cooling down, lying on the floor, the people lying next to me didn't feel unknown anymore. I knew how their bodies moved. We got to know each other without talking. And on this podcast, reading people's writing before I meet them, I've started to realise there are lots of different ways of getting to know a person. Speaking is just one of many. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Talking Inc. Our theme was Strangers. The music was composed by Martin White. This is a Radio Cardiff podcast in association with Seren Books.